I beat the Iranian 9-4, and I beat the Russian 7-4. And then Dave Schultz came up to me because he was, he and I were arch rivals. He stayed at the camp to help me train and stuff. And his goal was to be a world champion too. Mm-hmm. And when I beat the first two tough guys the first day, back then the tournament was three, four days long, actually. Schultz came up and gave me a dose of reality. He said, Kemp, you haven't won the tournament yet. So you better win the next, all the rest of your matches. So yeah. even though I was, I was feeling good about beating the Russian and beating the Iranian, here, they, they, you know, Schultz says, you haven't won it yet. So, so stay focused. <laughs> and I thought, hey, he's right. Welcome to the Goal With The Flow Show. I am Sam Antonen and I am a mental performance coach and the founder of Blueprint to Peak Sports Performance course. If you're interested in leveling up mentally and want to find the answers to the most common problems athletes face for free, then you can find the link in my Instagram bio for this. It is at Sam Antonen, that is S-A-M-A-N-T-O-N-E-N. Like I said, course is 100% free, and it's called the five minute athlete makeover you'll receive five videos in five days which will be all under five minutes long so the idea of this podcast is to learn from high level performers from different areas of life and to see how they achieve peak performance in their life so today we have a chat with the legendary Lee Kemp his achievements are nothing short from amazing He's a three-time world champion in freestyle wrestling. He's a three-time NCAA Division I champion. He's part of the International Wrestling Hall of Fame. And uh, to be honest, was the favorite to win the gold at the 1980s Olympics at Moscow before the US decided to boycott the Olympics. We talk a lot about his wrestling career and how his mindset has helped him achieve so much. We also discuss a legendary matchup against Dan Gable, where he beat the standing Olympic gold medalist when he was only 18 years old. Now, let's jump into the conversation with Lee Kemp. Well, thank you very much, Lee, for jumping, jumping on the call. It's been, uh, been trying to catch each other for the last, uh, last half a day. And uh, yeah, really, really appreciate you jumping on. Oh, no worries. No worries. Awesome. So anyone who may not know who you are, do you want to tell a little bit about yourself and what you're all about? Sure. Um, my name is Lee Kemp. I uh, competed during the late 70s and early 80s for the United States. Uh, I'm a three-time world champion for the United States, uh, America's first three-time world champion when I won my third title in 1982. And uh, for over 30 years, I was the youngest uh, American world champion at age 21 when I won my first title uh, in 1978. Since then. Uh, uh, Kyle Snyder came uh, in 2019, became uh, a world champion at, at the age of 19, which is phenomenal, blows my mind. Um, but, um, but anyway, that, that was the highlights of my international career. Uh, I'm one of six American wrestlers uh, inducted into the International Freestyle Wrestling Hall of Fame. And, uh, and most recently, there is a documentary movie about my, uh, my life, which encompasses a big part of it is wrestling 
And that, uh, that community is called Rustled Away, the Lee Campbell story. So um, in, in, in a small nutshell, that's me. Awesome. Yeah, there's, uh, um, there's a lot about your story. I watched that film um, and it is an inspirational story. And if I would encourage anyone to go and watch because there's a lot of uh, ups and downs that you faced um, during uh, your career and during your personal life as well. But we'll try and keep it as much as you can in wrestling. Um, so otherwise, we could be talking here for, <laughs> for the rest of the day. Um, but what I want to do is I want to kind of go through from uh, kind of start to finish from your career because I think it's a really interesting one and we like to keep this uh, geared, towards, uh, geared towards athletes. And one thing that really stuck out for me from the start of your career was the age that you started, which was considered um, for anyone who wants to make it at the top of any sport, really. That was kind of a late start. You started at ninth grade. Was it 15, 14, 15 years old that you yeah. started to wrestle? Yes, I was, uh, I was 14. I was 13 turning 14. Um, I, I was young uh, for my grade all through uh, high school, but I started as a freshman in high school in 1970. Uh, I was 13. And I was 17 when I graduated from high school uh, in 1974. But yeah, uh, back then, Wrestling, there wasn't really wasn't too many opportunities to wrestle um, sooner than seventh grade uh, when I was young. So seventh and eighth grade, I didn't wrestle, and then ninth grade, I wrestled. Cool. And uh, so, what was the reason, kind of going into wrestling? I read something that you were you were into basketball. So were you an athletic guy like before, and was wrestling just your calling at the time, or did you try other things as well? Well, it's a little unusual, I guess. From the standpoint that I I, uh, I played basketball and I thought I was athletic, you know, but I never made the basketball team in seventh and eighth grade. I never I got in the game for maybe a total of twenty seconds in two years, oh, and wow. that discouragement pushed me and made me want to try something else. So uh, I tried wrestling as a as a result of that in ninth grade, and um, you know I I always felt I was kind of athletic. In fact, the, uh, back then we had wrestling in gym class, in, in physical education classes. Cool. And the, and the wrestling coach was the PE teacher, and he kept trying to encourage me to walk for wrestling. Seventh grade, eighth grade, and ninth grade, when I didn't make the team, he finally said, Lee, you're never going to be good in basketball. You should come off with the wrestling team. So he had, he had, a, he had a person who was, who was you know, open, I guess, at that point. And that's kind of how I went out. Oh, cool. It's, um, so how was those early years? Like if you started like your first, first like high school wrestling career. So you started, what, what was your first season like, for example? Well, my ninth grade year, I wrestled just on the freshman team. So I, I only wrestled other freshmen. I didn't make the height of varsity. So that, you know, that's what probably kept me in it. Cause I only lost two matches all year and I won the conference tournament as a freshman. And, uh, the next year, uh, I think I was like 14 and two or something like that as a freshman. And then as a sophomore, I did make the varsity and my record was like 500. Basically I, I've had uh, 11 wins, eight losses and three ties. And I got hurt during the year. So I missed some matches. So that's all the matches I had. I, mean, I had almost as many lo- losses as wins. And the next year though, that's the whole thing that creates my, my story about my wrestling life is 
I went undefeated the next year and won the state tournament, being the defending state champion. So all that occurred because of a shift in my mentality, my mindset. Yeah. I learned that from being around Dan Gable. I was, I was only a, just finished my 10th grade year in high school, and I went to a, a wrestling camp that Dan Gable was at teaching. And that, happened, that was the summer of 1972. It was right before he was going to Munich, Germany as part of the USA wrestling team. And so I saw him at the camp. Uh, I was his drill partner. He was teaching the technique. I was very persistent at that camp, you know, asking questions and all that stuff. And later watching him win his gold medal on, on TV, you know, watching him on ABC, Wide World Sports. And then I just decided that I wanted to be like him, basically. And I just copied everything that he did. I copied everything that, um, that I heard him say that we should do. Uh, I was one of those people that, uh, out of everything he said, I believed everything. Because there's always one person, no matter whether it's a business seminar or something, um, yeah. where someone's giving away some valuable information. And they'll say, okay, I'm going to give this away for free. Why? Because I know none of you are going to do it anyway. You know, that's why, that's why successful people, they, they, they're not here. I'll tell you exactly how I did it. And everybody takes notes and they're, you know, focused on it. And that same thing is true in everything in life. Gable, he showed us exactly how he got to be Dan Gable. And I was taking notes and I believed everything he said. And I went home and I did everything he said. And I believed everything he said. And, um, you know, and there's athletes I coach now where they'll, they'll say to me, you know, geez, coach, is it, you know, this is really tough. Man. Is this is what I have to do, be a state champ? I go, yeah, this is about it. They'll say to me, and which is, I think, pretty, you know, courageous. They'll say, coach, I don't know if I want it that bad. Mm. And I'll say, well, okay, I'll just have to accept that, you know, because um, there wasn't any barrier that I could see. Gable was unwilling to go through. He was training. And I learned that right away. I adopted that. So now when I start training, my, my thought was I've got to be the toughest guy in the room. I've got to be the hardest working guy in the room. I've got to be the first guy in practice and the last guy to leave. All that stuff is what I did. And there was no one around me that, 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 was, that was on my level in terms of the, my mentality. There were a lot of people that were way better than me technically and maybe even physically in some ways. But uh, I felt that there was no one going to be in better shape than me and I could always improve my strength and I was never going to quit. I, you know, I was perfect for battle, you know, for war yeah. because I was willing to die out there. And when you're competing against someone in a sport like wrestling where you're not going to die and you're competing against some, some guy who's like making you think he's going to, die he's gonna fall on the sword to win this match yeah unless you're in that same mental place you're just not gonna beat that person and that's why i beat the defending state champion because um, he was like overwhelmed with the intensity that i was bringing to that match and to close out the point uh, dan gable and i are friends so when when he did his interview for my documentary i had a chance to catch up with him a little bit yeah. that was about eight years ago now you know, so, you know, we're both old, you know, I'm 63 and Dan's eight years older than me. So, uh, so he's like 71 years old now or 70, I guess. And, uh, uh, he told me 
he said, Lee, it never occurred to me that you would actually try to beat me in that match. I was like, wow. That kind of blew me away when he said that. And, and, and I asked him again. I said, what, what did you just say? He said, it never occurred to me that you would actually try to beat me in that match. I'm like, wow. I just, that, that, that was a learning. That what he said spoke volumes of how the mind works. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, we'll come back to um, the actual Gable matchup in a bit uh, when we go through your, through your career. But I want to um, kind of ask you something. It's, uh, you talk about like you, you took everything as gospel and you wanted to do it and you'd be the first one in, last one out. And you see that a lot in athletes where they, and it, it could be like a motivation thing. You go like, okay, and they do it for a week or two weeks or a month. What kept you going? What part of you when, like, actually, was it part of, like, seeing the results, like, and winning? Or what was it that, from that point onwards, so you were like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let off? Or was there points where you did let off and you just kind of had to check with yourself? What was your motivator? What was your driver? Well, both of those events happened to me. But my my main motivational driver, and, I, and this is a really uh, – it's a little difficult to answer just because it's different for everybody. And uh, when you try to coach, you try to get your team to think like that, or you try to, you know, maybe like, like this podcast, get people to glean some things from it, but, but it's different for everybody. But for me, I think it goes back to even my childhood and that's deep, you know, because I've had a chance to think about this a lot. Um, I was, uh, I was adopted at five years old and I was alone a lot. And I've just thought about this, you know, uh, way, you know, a lot since my wrestling career. Yeah. And I keep, I keep refining it because I asked myself that same question. Like, why, why was I so committed to winning? And my son even asked me that, you know, why, why were you so focused on it? And I, I think simply for me, it was a chance for me to be, to, to feel worthy maybe and that sounds kind of kind of hard to say because deep down when you i think when you're adopted given up for adoption you're young you don't really know what's going on but then as you get older you kind of realize uh, mm. that your parent your mother gave, gave you up for adoption i was adopted to uh i was the only child so i was alone a lot mm. i had a so when you're alone a lot you spend a lot of time thinking and uh i grew up back in the in the uh in the 60s and 70s where there wasn't all the, the distractions like uh, technology. Uh, you know, my parents moved to a farm and then so I spent a lot of time by myself outside just just being alone with, with nature, playing with my dogs, doing stuff like that. And, and yeah. uh, every sport that I got into, I tried as hard as I could because I think I wanted to just um, find some recognition not not for myself for glory or anything but i just felt like i was always um not noticed and uh when i was a kid i i remember i was really shy like if you watch those early interviews you could tell it was really different than i am now um so i think it was a chance for me to um to to just express myself because i think everything about me was so suppressed up until then. And when I read 
uh, success stories of other people, there's similarities, whether maybe someone's been abused and they're just wait, they just want some chance to express themselves in this more whole state. And there's a lot of spins on that. Pretty much great success from almost anyone I read about, they had some hardship they went through. When we watch the success, we just see the success. We don't really know what they went through. Uh, and we, we don't really, like, you know, like when I think about everyone, really, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think of some specific people, but, but even Dan Gable, he talks about that time when he was very young that his daughter, his sister was murdered. I don't know, and it happened in the house that they lived in. And before he was even an athlete, the parents wanted to move out of the house because the memories of the daughter being mur murdered there in the house. Um, the family had left. The daughter was older. She was like 18 or 19. She, and so Dan said, no, we're going to stay here and I want to move into her bedroom. So just think wow. about the mental process that takes on. I mean, there's something different about that. And I would say to you, and the reason why I'm focusing on this so much, that if I wasn't adopted, if I was just, you know, stayed in the family and everything went okay, I, there wouldn't have been such a deep internal drive for find, just finding some sort of um, significance to my life, maybe, if I can put, put it that way. So anyway, that, that's one answer. And then the second answer, I guess, I, that goes really closely along with that is once I got into wrestling and I realized how difficult it was, I either wanted to quit or I wanted to win at it because <laughs> yeah. it was too difficult to do and not win. So I flipped that switch in my mind and, 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 and never looked back because it was too difficult to do and not win. And, and wrestling is, is a sport where once you get into it, you're kind of hooked because I, you know, I've known athletes that work just as hard as me, but they just didn't have, all the other components so that, that can make them as successful as I was, but they still loved it. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a, so the second thing I'm saying, it's a, maybe through God's divine providence, I found something that, that I really enjoy doing. So I was passionate about it and people that are passionate about something, they'll do it regardless of whether they have success or not, or whether they get paid or not. And I've heard successful business people say, oh, I would have done that without getting paid. Or, you know, I, I, I didn't set out to be you know, like, like Bill Gates didn't really necessarily set out to be the richest man in the world, but he, he had an idea that he believed in and he was passionate about it and he was willing to drop out of college. I think he did that and whatever he did to keep focusing on that goal. And then once he realized, Hey man, you know, this is going to work. I'm going to make a lot of money. And then that changes. Yeah. And so with me, I realized that, man, I could start winning at this. You know, I could, you know, there's nobody that can beat me. That, then there's other things that, that come into play when you realize you have this talent, you have this, this opportunity. So then you start competing for the opportunity to be great. And so my winning took different stages as it went along. So maybe at the beginning, it was just to find something to express myself in. You know, when I was sitting on the bench, for two years in basketball, I mean, I wanted to play. Yeah. I, I didn't think I was going to be good. But then the coach said, you could play, Lee. If you go out for the wrestling team, you can wrestle. We don't have a 138-pounder. You're, you're it. So then I start competing right away. And that I 
that gave me a sense of purpose, a sense of, of just uh, being, you know, like, like purpose and being and like, Lee, you're significant. The coaches count on you. You are the guy, you know, you're the man, you're, you're the, you're the varsity guy now. And that just that label makes a big difference. Hmm. And as I did it, I realized that I really enjoyed doing it. It wasn't good necessarily right away. I was a 500 wrestler, but I enjoyed practice. When you, and I tell people all the time, if you want to find out what you're passionate about, just take a diary of everything you do for about a two-week period. And the thing you do the most of, I would have to believe, that's something you probably like doing. Okay, and, uh, that's a good tip. Yeah. And, and I enjoyed practice. I enjoyed wrestling. Just the whole idea. Like some people, when they start wrestling, they don't like it. They don't like the touching, the sweating. You've heard the sweaty bodies, the whole bit. And they, you know, it's like, okay, you don't like wrestling. Like when I went out for bat football, I didn't like football because of the hitting. I didn't like the hitting part. Hmm. Well, that's what football is. Yeah, running and catching a pass. I was great at that. I was pretty athletic, I thought. But boy, I started getting jarred and having headaches when I went home. I didn't like football. So I didn't go out for football after one year. You know, so, and I talked to uh, young athletes that just absolutely love football. They love the hitting. They just, their eyes light up when they talk about hitting. Well. My eyes would light up when I when you start talking about wrestling practice. I just love the whole idea of the whole the grabbing, the, the the trying to restrain the person to just try to beat the person up physically within the rules of wrestling. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of good stuff there that you mentioned, and uh, and I completely agree that there's a different edge to people who've come from a tough background or really had to face adversity and doesn't mean that you came from a um like a difficult family but you might just have tragedy in your life and you had to overcome it what if you're in a position and you may not have an answer to this but you've coached a lot of people throughout your career how about people who come from maybe a a background there hasn't really been much adversity uh, how how do you build mental toughness within those people? That's a great question. Um, I would say um, there's got to be, first, as a coach, you have to be able to figure out if this athlete really loves this thing that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things I'll ask a, uh, a wrestler and sometimes with the overzealous parents pushing their kids into whatever it is they're pushing them into, with them sitting right there, and I want to make sure they're sitting right there, I'll ask the athlete, you know, do, do you really like wrestling? And they'll, they'll kind of like nervous. Like, well, they're looking at your dad. Yeah, I do. And then I'll ask them alone, and I'll get a different answer sometimes. Hmm. And it's not my job to convince them to like wrestling. It's something that they have to they have to like, and I'm around athletes who love wrestling. They love you can tell they love it. They're not going to stop if they get hurt. They're coming back. You know, they, they could break their arm and you know, people have been injured and the moment they get healthy enough, they're back, you know, or, you know, if you're, if you're riding your motorcycle and you go through a horrific crash, the moment you're healthy, if you're back on that bike, man, then Hey, you, you love that thing, you know? So, you got to get past that because if you don't, if you're not, if you, if you can't be passionate about the thing you're doing, you can never be truly great or as, or, or as good as someone who has equal talent that is passionate. 
And can you develop passion for something? Yeah, I guess you can. Um, that to me uh, can only come through mentally deciding that this goal has some purpose in your life. Hmm. And if you can decide that, if, if, if like if, if winning this this gold medal maybe in the, in the Olympic Games can can maybe like I I don't athletes said if I win this gold medal in the Olympic Games then it's going to allow me to it's going to open doors that maybe I can you know do something else in my life that has more pur- purpose than maybe the wrestling part. You know, there's been people who've gone on from one stage of their life and to another stage and then on to another stage. And each stage is kind of a stepping stone or building block on the, on, on the previous one. Mm-hmm. So purpose is the key. Like what purpose do you have? And the purpose I think I had for wrestling is I wanted to, I wanted this relationship between hard work and success to make sense to me. So that was what made my mind click. And what I learned from Gable was that that's how it should work. And the moment that started to click that way for me, I wanted to always make sure that that relationship was, was happening for me. The hard work, the intensity, the ability to keep growing and learning translates into success. And so one kind of fed off of the other. And once I realized that I was having success that no one else was having, then it, then it moved into an area of maybe, I don't want to say, say this, it sounds weird to say legacy, that you start thinking about that so soon. But, but I realized that I was doing some things that hadn't been done before. So, so then, yeah, you really want to do it. And I'm sure even people like Bill Gates, you know, and see, you know, when, when, when he, 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 he wasn't the first one that created the computer. Obviously, we read his story. He wasn't the first one, but he was just one of the ones that created one also. Henry Ford wasn't the first guy who created an automobile from scratch in, in his garage or whatever. There are a lot of people at the same time building cars that were running. But he was the one that mentally took it to another level that realized, hey, there is a business opportunity here. I can capitalize on this. So then he was the one that was the most savvy in terms of creating a business model out of it. So I think my success grew exponentially because I realized that, hey, I have, I have something here. So even when my friends wanted me to go out and party, I said, no, I, I can't. I'm not going to do that because I don't want to risk what I have going here. You know, And even in my documentary, you know, uh, in the 60s and 70s, you know, uh, the racial things were, were high and I went to an all-white school and uh, in my documentary, um, I was asked a lot of questions about the racial climate and I made a comment that that made it into the documentary. It didn't, it got off the cutting room floor and it was very quick. It just said, um, you know, I felt that my purpose for being there at Wisconsin was to win wrestling matches. So I just kind of, I let that, what I thought to be the bigger goal at the time, take precedent over trying to pay attention to racial things. And that's kind of the summary of that little 10 second statement that I made. But that was really how I felt. I can remember one time my roommate was black. We were the only two black guys on the team. I remember once something was going on and I was really getting excited about it. And uh, we were out on campus and doing something and some guy was going to pick a fight with me. And I was, and my roommate said, Lee, get back in the car. You're Lee Kemp. You don't want to get in trouble here because you got, you got a lot going for yourself. Hmm. 
and he brought reality in my mind really quickly. Yeah, he's right. Because I, I can remember hearing somebody say, oh, that's Lee Kim, you know. And, you know, I was ready because I was going to defend this racial slur this guy said. I was going to go yeah. out and, and I was his wrestler, man. I knew I could beat the guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was before the gun thing and all that, you know, <laughs> when people just fought with their fists. So, but my purpose became bigger than that. And, and I always kept sight of it. So people that achieve great things, they never lose sight of that purpose. And the purpose is not necessarily a goal. Like I didn't win to have a gold medal. I mean, that means, I mean, this means nothing. It doesn't have that medal has no significance. I think an athlete could, could compete for money, you know, a professional athlete. Yeah. If I'm good, I'm going to be a millionaire. That's purpose. I can do that. Uh, that, that didn't exist uh, for me in wrestling. My purpose was that the time I put in, and I think I'm a little bit better than, than everybody else, then I had better prove it. Mm-hmm. So I say this a lot to athletes that tell me they, they can do things. I say, quit tell me about what you are going to do. Just prove it. And I then they shut up. And they think I'm being mean to them. It's like, no, just like, like if you told me, if we were just walking around the gym and you say, man, you know, I, I, I could dunk a basketball. I, prove it. Just do it right now. You're like, well, yeah. now? Yeah, you said you could do it. Just, I'm that type of guy. I have to prove things to myself. And that's just the way my mind works. So um, I took it as a challenge to wrestle the toughest guys I could. That's why when I was given a lot of opportunities to not wrestle Gable, I, did, I said, are you kidding me? I, I want to wrestle Gable. My coach wanted me to not wrestle him because he thought that was going to affect my my mental psyche for the rest of college or something because Gable was, you know, he, it was, it was a match that really didn't mean anything. It was just the coaches don't lead a match doesn't mean anything. You know, your goal is to be a national champion. He's out of college. He's no, I want to, I want to see how good I am. And, and people aren't willing to do that in life. They don't want to see how good they are. They're, I wouldn't say they're afraid, but, but, and that doesn't translate into every area of your life. In this area of my life, I was willing to put it out there to see how good I was. Just like, like when I wrestled the Russians in that time in high school. I mean, we had a whole team of people that felt similar. I wanted to go there to win. I, try, I mean, out of the whole tour, I mean, there's only like just a handful of Americans, over 40 matches that the Russians had that actually won their match. And the thing that Gable said rings very true. You know, I tried to win every match. But if I'm trying to win a match and my conditioning is not there and I lose because I'm not in shape, well, am I really there to win the match? If I'm getting like muscled, like manhandled by somebody because I'm not strong enough, well, I got to do something about that. You know, if someone's really beating me on, on technique, you know, where I can't uh, keep up with the level of, of finesse, then am I really there to win that match? So I was always working on those three areas because that's all the three areas that there is, you know, your technique, you know, your strength, your conditioning. And then after that, you tweak things here and there, you know, but, um, so but to me, it's just purpose. And, and you try to build purpose into people based on getting to know them. And the only way you can know what's important to someone is you build purpose. I know athletes, um, who, who, who will make a, a statement to, to themselves uh, one of their, you know, dying wishes of one of their parents is that you finish college. You've heard those stories where 
some professional athletes, they have all this money, but then they go back to school. Why? And then you ask them why they, well, the promise I made to my mom and dad. And that's hard for people to really understand that. Why is that important? Well, the fact that you would ask that shows that you don't have a concept of what purpose is. It's just purpose. It just stays with you forever, you know? And that's why marriages last. It's not because people are happy for 50 years together. They just have a purpose that they're just not going to quit on each other. And, and, you know, and obviously there's got to be other things going on right too, so they don't kill each other. But, (laughs) but there's some purpose there that they, that they understand this is just a rough spot that we're going to get through it. And typically, and I've talked to people that have gone through long, long relationships together, they fall in and out of love, you know, that they're able to fall back in love once they get over this rough spot, you know, and then, after having so much history of that, then they, then you know it's gonna, like you know how the story ends. Well, we're just gonna get through this one too, you know. And that's just how I was as an athlete, you know. I, you know, of course I had some rough spots, you know, everybody does. But my history started. I started to build on that history of winning that I knew I could always, that I was always gonna win again, and I just didn't lose very much. And um, so, was that kind of your mindset? I'm sorry to interrupt, but was that your mindset? doing those rough bits then that this is only temporary or what were you telling yourself in those moments where you might feel a little bit less motivated or yeah any of those tough spots what were you telling yourself that maybe someone could take away to go okay I could I could do that myself well some of the things we're being that we're told are I don't think are, are right I think I think you have to you have to spend some time mourning and feeling sorry for yourself and all that stuff you might as well earmark the time now because if you if you just fast forward through that because everyone's telling you not to feel that so you deprive yourself of those moments where you do want to feel sorry for yourself you do want to make fun and you do want to feel unmotivated what happens is you get the, the clock keeps ticking so now you're pushed out so far where now people say okay now you should be over that by now well really you're not because you didn't take the time to go through those necessary steps. So, so I went through those steps, the morning part, the being feeling sorry for yourself, all that stuff. I think that's normal, but I had the history of, of winning in wrestling. And a good friend of mine, uh, John Bartis, he saw that and he encouraged me to get back into wrestling because getting back into wrestling, it gave me a chance to experience the memory of success that I had in something. And there's nothing wrong with that. And some people talk about dwelling in the past and, you know, you shouldn't really talk about your, your successes that much. I, I disagree with that. I mean, I guess it depends on the right, depends on the company that you're with because you don't want to make people think you're conceited or anything. But very often, man, I pull out my box of medals and I had to look at it and say, Lee, you know, this was difficult to achieve this. You know, you can get through this too. I mean, I've never told anyone this, that part about the medals part, because it sounds corny, you know, but, but when I, when my friend invited me to, to maybe Lee, get back into wrestling and maybe you should try to coach a team. And I'm thinking, oh man, that, no one really wants to, who want, there's all these young coaches now. Well, I ended up becoming the Olympic coach in 2008. I got to march in the opening ceremonies at the Olympic Games. And my opportunity was taken away back in 1980. So from 1980 to 2008, 38 years, I got a chance to, to be on the Olympic team as a coach. 
there's nothing wrong with um, being good at something and sticking with that thing. In society, people will tell, I mean, tell you, you know, do something else, you know. Aren't you tired of doing that? you gotta, you got to tell that person, no, I'm not tired of being successful. Thank you very much. I, I like feeling successful. I, I, I'll continue to be successful. I look at Arnold Palmer, continued hitting the golf ball until he's, I don't know, 90 and he can barely move, but he's still on the golf course. There's nothing wrong with that. I see entertainers still in Vegas performing in their 70. I see Diana Ross. I mean, when you achieve some success, no matter what it is, there's nothing wrong with going back and experiencing that success in your mind, in your brain again, because that truly is what's going to get you through something difficult. And when I was going through those very tough, tough times, uh, I had to realize and remember myself as a champion because you get labeled other things, you know. And just like I can be labeled, you know, a guy, a loser, part of my life is not going well. Well, you don't want that defining it. I'm not. This is just something that I'm going through right now. Just like even the success I had, that was just something I was going through. So, you know, unless you are able to keep manifesting success to your life, you're not going to be successful. And I see people living in the past too much, too. I, I talk to people pretty much currently that they're older, they're my age, and, and, and we'll get into a conversation and they'll start telling me about the divorce they had 40 years ago, how they're, and you could tell they're not over it yet. And, and I'm not over the Olympics being boycotted. If, if I got no conversation with you about that, you would, you would hear in me an intensity that will, will, will be clear that hey, this kid, this guy is still bitter about that. And mm. that's just the, the part of being human. You know, there's certain things that it's very difficult to get over. But to the best of your ability, you have to move past certain things that, that go wrong in your life. And one of the ways to, to get past that is to, um, to re-experience some of the successes that you've had in your life. And sometimes uh, people do this through maybe um, finding a, another passion. And they start applying all the lessons and rules they learn doing one thing into doing something else. I mean, I, I know people that I meet currently now that are in their 50s, they take up running. And then they start running marathons or things like that. And you wonder why are you putting yourself through all this? Why are you doing all this hard work? And they don't really know how to explain it either, other than it just it gives me pleasure to be setting that goal and achieving it. It's just, it's, I think in life we always have to do that. The moment you stop setting different things that you're trying to achieve is when you do start to slumber in that couch a little bit too long and you gain another 20 pounds and you just get ready to, it's almost like you're just waiting to die, you know? I mean, I see some of my Olympic friends who were great shape when they were in their, when they were competing, and now they're my age, and oh, they, you know, they look they're terrible. And, um, and that affects mentally. That's a, that's a really big mental hurdle, and it was uh, funny to hear, uh, I think, is uh, Daniel Cormier that mentioned your shape that you're in. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, feeds into your mentality and your mentality feeds into your physical shape like everything is it all works together it's all honed in and if you're sitting on the sofa and you're not really finding a passion and the good thing about passion is you don't need to really explain it to anyone if someone asks you to go like, like what are you passionate it's like 
Well, I don't know. It's like, that's all you need to say. So you don't need to justify your passion to anyone. Um, so that's the great part of it. It's just going out there and doing things that mostly it just feels right. It's like, it's sometimes like, it's, it's, it's difficult to put in words. It's like, why did you start wrestling? Why wrestling? It's like, well, you've spent a lot of years thinking about those things and you still hasn't got a concrete answer for it. And you mm-hmm. probably never will. It's just those moments where you just go, well, it just felt right. It, it was just those, one of those things, actually, this, this is what I feel like I need to be doing. Exactly. That's probably the best explanation I've ever had because um, something I said earlier is there's people that work just as hard as me. And to work as hard as I did, you have to be passionate. And I could tell they were passionate, but they weren't winning like I was. In my mind, I'm thinking, well, I couldn't work this hard if I wasn't winning. So that, that extra connection allowed me to remain passionate. So I knew that if I remain passionate, I remain focused that I'm going to continue having the success that I'm, that I want. If, if I wasn't having success, Oh my gosh, it would have been really difficult to continue working that hard. I may have continued wrestling, but then I would have been like everybody else. Maybe. I don't know, but you're right. You, you might have to keep, and I'm a proponent of trying different things because you never know what, what could be your passion. You really don't know until you are finding it like running, like, like, like many people now when they're older and they start running, and I, I never liked running when I was an athlete. So when people tell me they like running and they want to run marathons, I'm like, oh my God, I, I wouldn't want to do that. I mean, if you had, if I was forced to do that, I would hate it. I'm not, I'm not passionate about running, you know. But you know, yeah. putting that in perspective, I could be passionate about biking because I really like biking. Yeah. Like I, I bike now quite a bit actually. And if if I was, if I wanted to set a goal that I wanted to compete in some bike race or something. I could train every day of biking and, and really start to like it and be passionate about it. There's like, I like cooking. I could be passionate about cooking. I enjoy, you know, so it's not that difficult to be passionate about something. If you, if you just let yourself think about things that you, you have kind of a little bit of an enjoyment doing, you know, um, there, there are people that are passionate about um, helping other people. And sometimes they'll start donating their time when they retire volunteering. Maybe there, I know some doctors who vote, donate their time, you know, Doctors Without Borders, things like that, which is a very difficult thing to do. Not everybody would want to do that. But when people tell me, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and put my life on the line and, 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 and use my expertise to help people, that's like, wow, you've got to be really passionate to do that. I'm not mentally there, but I appreciate, you know, I applaud you for wanting to do that. So you're right, you don't have to explain it to anybody. You know, your parents may say you're crazy. Go through medical school, do all that stuff. Stay in the States, make a lot of money, be a doctor, and have a big house so, you, you, know, you, you know, your mom and dad can come visit and we can play with our grandkids. This doctor, I know this person, they're saying, no, I don't want to do that. I have a medical degree. I want to go do it in this fashion. I'm not in it to make money. I'm in it, you know, so passions drive people differently. And you're right, you can't explain it which would it'd be very difficult for a parent who put their kid through medical school and now they want to use it that way. They wouldn't be able to understand that. Right. But this person who it's, it's their life. That's mm-hmm. what they want to do with their life. Like my son, when he started wrestling, that was my goal for him. And we had a meeting of the mind where he had to tell me, dad, back off. You know, that was your life. This isn't mine. 
It's a funny story, by the way. It's uh, how you got uh, Adam yeah. into wrestling. I paid him, and so, <laughs> so for him, for him, that that was cool. Okay, I'll do it for money, and he wrestled. And, and he's passionate. He's not as passionate as I was, but but I, I don't care. I, I'm just happy. I wanted him to learn the just the toughness part of wrestling, the mental toughness and all that. And he certainly has learned that. And he's taken it way beyond that. Because there was a point when he, he got hurt once because I was pushing him and dislocated his arm, fractured his elbow. And I said, oh, my God. And, you know, so he had an arm in a sling, and he missed about three weeks. It wasn't as bad as it could have been. I said, Adam, if you don't want to wrestle now, I'm totally okay with that, man. Because he was new, so new to the sport that he was getting hurt because he just didn't understand what these other kids understood. These kids had yeah. four or five years' experience, and he posted wrong. Said, no, Dad, I don't want to. Wow, I heard him say that, and I just didn't know what to say after that. I go, well, okay, you know, and I just watched how he just kept focusing on it. And if you interviewed him, which might be a pretty cool interview to see why he wrestles, I, I like, I don't know, I don't know, because sometimes I push really on him really hard. Like if he loses one, I don't think he should. And I said, Adam, you know, you know, I. But the one thing I do know, he knows it's giving him an education. So that's mm-hmm. a reason to wrestle. He's got a scholarship. Um, it's, it's allowing him some benefits that he wouldn't have otherwise in college. He's traveling. He really enjoys the traveling part of being a varsity athlete in California. Because mm-hmm. uh, when you're a D1 in school in California, you've got to travel if you're going to compete against the best teams. Because you're so isolated on the West Coast. So almost every school that's toughest and less, so they're on airplanes every week going somewhere to wrestle. So he's become a, a, a frequent flyer now, you know. So he's learning how to travel as a parent. I think that's pretty cool. He's learning how to be independent, learning how to travel, learning how to just just move around the country, which is a cool thing. Yeah, it definitely comes uh, with its perks being a D1 athlete. It's uh... It's great to be going going to different places, and yeah, I'll, I'll I'll probably reach out to Adam. It'll be really great to have him on here and have a chat with him. So, yeah, I'll, I'll hold him on to that now. <laughs> there, there, you've been called out. Yeah, I, I'd be curious as to what as to what he would say, you know. And I was, and and he's good. He's good about not saying things that I necessarily want to hear, which is good. He's a strong. He's got his own sense of 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 his own ideas, and some of them are influenced by me some and he's he respects me enough that he'll consider what i'm telling him and, I, and that, that that gives me a lot of a lot of uh, joy and pleasure that my kids respect me enough that they will consider things i'm saying to them yeah no i think that's really good rather than having that resentment because i've seen that a lot like through uh, my background was mainly in soccer and you see the parents who drill in their kid in the corner and you just go that's going to go off the rails pretty soon. And those kids never make it. So you need to have that really good balance uh, as an athlete, as a, um, as a parent of an athlete, to be able to um, be influential enough so you can steer them in the right direction, but for them to have the courage to then say that, actually, this is something that I want to do or this is something I don't want to do. So, yeah, I completely agree. So how about your so high school career? Um, if we uh, uh, swing it back to you, last uh, two, 
nicely segued in there. So uh, last two years in high school, undefeated. Is that correct? And then, uh, yeah. And then after that, you go to college. How was, uh, how was uh, freshman year in college competing? Well, because my mind was conditioned to want challenges, I want my goal coming out of high school. Well, actually, when I won my two state titles, I never wanted to lose another match in my life. That's kind of where I was putting my mind at. And so uh, that summer, I won this national high school tournament. It's called the Fargo Junior Nationals now. When I competed, it was held in Iowa, and it was called the Iowa Junior Nationals. So I won that, and I beat some good guys in that tournament. And uh, so my goal in college was to win the national tournament as a freshman, as a true freshman. That was important to me. To me, if I would have redshirted as a freshman, it wouldn't have been as important to me because I just, in my mind, I just knew I was good enough to be a national champion. I wanted it to be challenging, and no one had ever won it four times. So I immediately set that as a goal. And to be a four-time national champion, I had to win it as a freshman. And, and I really appreciate the, the, uh, the director that he picked up on that and made that as a, one, of the, one of the anchors in the documentary that I wanted to be a four-time national champion. It had never been done before. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what I said. And I did not want to register. My coach had, had hinted about that. There's no way. It wouldn't be as important to me to win it when I'm redshirt freshman. I mean, of course I'm going to win it then. If you give me a year in college, I'm going to win it, you know. I mean, yeah. but I think I can win it all four years. So that, so that was my mindset going in. So I was, I was very difficult to coach. And so my coach made a little, he kind of made a joke out of it a little bit. And my documentary, he says, Lee, Lee was a pleasure to have on a team. And he said, he caught himself. He said, well, once you learn, he says, once I learned how to coach him, he was a pleasure to have on the team. And, and the learning process was, was basically me teaching him how to, how to, how to react to me as, an, as, as, a, as, a, as a wrestler and as a person. I was very, I was very difficult to coach, man. I, was just, I just wanted to do my own thing. Hmm. And I hate, I hate to admit that because that's not something you want the whole team of people wanting to do their own thing. But, but he was good enough. He, he, was, he was smart enough to see I was having success right away because I won the first tournament, you know, and then I won the next tournament. And I beat, I beat a guy who was an All-American the year before. So I was already starting to, to go down that road of, hey, this guy may, may, this guy actually may win this year, you know. Yeah. And he saw I was working hard. But I just had my own agenda of things I thought would make me good. Like the coach might say, we're going to do this. And I'd say, no, I want to do this over here. It's horrible to stay like that. But the coach observed what I was doing, and he knew that, he saw that was hard too. So he was smart enough to say, he said, okay, Kemp's going to have his own little corner in the wrestling room. He's going to work with Russ, who was our head, he was the assistant coach at the time. Mm-hmm. He was an Olympic silver medalist. He was really good. And I needed Russ. I wanted to train with someone like Russ because he mentally, and he was a 220 pounder. He physically could give me the intensity that I needed. That's what I wanted every day in practice. Yeah, I didn't want to go with the guys I could beat up. So I was really, I was, I was fighting that. And my coach saw that right away. So when, 
when I did wrestle with the guys on the team, he would, he would pick three guys and they would rotate on me and I wouldn't get a break to try to, to, try to create an environment where I'd be really challenged. Mm. That's what I did when I was an athlete there. And he learned that, that that's how Lee wants to train. No one else was doing that on the team. It was just me. And if he would have forced me to not to, to do what everyone else would, it would have been really, it would have been tough for me mentally. And I don't know if I would have been as successful because I wouldn't have felt as confident. Yeah. So, um, so he learned how to coach me. So, um, so I went into college, I, I went into my freshman year fully expecting to be a national champion. Hmm. And that was, you know, that's that's hard, you know, when you when you look into someone's eyes. And, and you know, like you think you win, and they look at you like, like no, <laughs> and they they're honest. They may say yes because they think that's what you're supposed to say, but you can say they're really saying no. I believe I really believe that commitment. And that's the only reason why I made it to the finals like that. Because now, and then once I lost in the finals, and this is going to sound really bad, but this is how I felt. I felt that if I don't win at least three national titles down in a row. My career just was not successful. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to win one national title, but I just felt that, you know, I'm going to win three for sure now. I mean, there's just no way. I'm not going to win three. Yeah. So my, my goals were just so much higher than everyone else's at the time. There was no one thinking the way I was thinking back then. I, I, was, I was just like on an island kind of by myself. So my conversations, I had very few conversations with guys in the team because they, couldn't relate to me. My coach couldn't really relate to me. Even mm. like when I told him I wanted to wrestle Gable and he was trying to talk me out of it, he was like shaking, scratching his head, like, why does this kid? Of course, he doesn't think he can beat Dan Gable, but you know, why, why does he want to wrestle? Well, I, I was going to try to beat him. That was my mindset. So I don't know how you get on that frequency, really. And that, that would be the, the I'm not sure. How you can get on that frequency? It starts with passion, though. Yeah, I I think it is. Uh, it's tough. I think it. Uh, there's probably a element of momentum in there. It's like you. Um, there's not a lot of sports that you can el- have a momentum like in wrestling. Like you're talking, God knows how many matches through the last two years that you now got a momentum to go into your freshman year in college. Um, yeah, that must have something to do with it to understand like you've actually got so many matches under your belt that you want in a row that kind of gives you that confidence to kind of go, okay, um, what I'm doing is, is going, is the right thing. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult to pinpoint sometimes these things that what what is it that, that made you so, uh, passionate about that, that moment and winning winning four national titles so how did that how did that you know, final it, go sorry no I, I just wanted to answer i was going to say that i i just it's like i didn't want to let myself down mm. maybe so i wasn't waiting for other people i just did all that work happened i don't know in my first year, back to the story of my, my career, five matches in the national tournament, three were overtimes. 
So it, you know, it, it wasn't an easy walk to the finals. Mm. Even though I believed I should win, my first match in the tournament was a referee's decision all the time against a senior, a guy who was you know, a senior. He wasn't, didn't have a really great record. But again, I know a lot of seniors that will beat a freshman just because they're not getting beat by a freshman. You know? Yeah. It, it just, hey, I'm a senior. You're, I don't care how good a freshman. I'm going to beat you. And this kid, this guy, this kid, this rutten guy, uh, Mike Taylor was his name. He had that mindset. He just wasn't going to let this freshman beat him. And, and we went in overtime. I beat him in a, on a referee's decision in overtime. And then I had an overtime match in the semifinals against a guy who beat me early in the year. That was two to one in overtime. Hmm. And I had the match in the finals in overtime. So, you know, the only thing that gets you past those matches is having a belief in yourself and having a belief in the end result that you want. Hmm. You know, like, just like if I lose this match and I'm not going to be a national champion. It sounds elementary, but some people don't think that way. I see people, like, clearly giving up in matches. They're not getting pinned, but they're getting beat. They're just, you can tell they're not going to win anymore. So then I'm thinking to myself now, you know, you you realize that was a match for you to place in the tournament. You're not going to place now. They go, well, yeah. So well, go out like, like bleeding or something. I don't know. Figure out a way to turn this into a street fight. Yeah. That was my mentality. And, and somehow you can't lose sight of what you originally wanted. And, and, of course, people say it's a goal, but it's more than that because people just immediately will give up on that goal. And, and that's why people stay married for so long when they really don't like each other because the goal is marriage and you're not getting divorced in another one. You start becoming more rational about it. You start thinking about it. And you realize how miserable you are. You'll say, well, this is stupid. you know. And that's why people don't win in wrestling. But the analogy, this is too hard. I'm getting, I'm hurting, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. And then even though you might have said at one point, yeah, I want to be a, a national champion, you, in your mind, realize this is just too, this is too much. I, I, then you be, the rational thinking comes in. To achieve great things is not rational. It's very irrational, actually. Mm. So you have to embrace the, the irrationality of the thing you want. It's very similar to someone saying you have to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. You know, um, I know that I have the mentality that I could learn to jump in an ice cold pool every day if that's what I have to do. It'd be hard, of course, but see people doing that. And when you watch them do it, they jump in and they can handle it and they just get, they just get used to doing it, you know? Well, yeah. I got used to the idea of winning and I didn't want that to change. And I got very comfortable with it. And I didn't want to change that. So I, I would take you... I mean, to the death, actually. I mean, you're going to have to, I mean, in, in a wrestling sense. Yeah. So I'm not, I, I wouldn't be a very, uh, I wouldn't be a fun guy to be with if you, if it was, uh, if we were fighting back in the Coliseum in the days of Rome and where you, have, you fight to the death. People who can mentally think like me, they're pretty tough to, and if you have, if two people are competing like me who have that same mentality, then that's one heck of a match that I want to see because you got two warriors who aren't going to quit. And truly yeah. it will come down to ability maybe at that point. Who, who is really better? Because they're not going to quit. And occasionally we'll see that matchup. Yeah. That's is... my freshman. 
yeah, so you went to the freshman year, you went to the finals and you lost a referee's decision in the end, wasn't it? All the time. And, and I lost time. to him uh, two other times in the year. I beat him the first time I wrestled him and then I lost to him in the dual meet and then in the big 10. He beat me 4-0 each time, which the matches weren't close. Mm. So then when I wrestled him in the finals, that's why Chuck Yeagle, in his interview, he said that there was no doubt in his mind that he, was, he didn't believe he was going to win that match. And I, I believe him, but I had to, I had to change that, that dynamic in my mind because I mean he beat me easily two times in a row, so I, I kind of had to fix that. That was difficult to to fix that, and that only comes through knowing that if I lose this match, I'm not going to be a four-time national champion. So I had that as another motive. It wasn't just winning the match; it was the bigger goal mm. that was going to take. Three more years to come to fruition, but I had to, I had to, I had to win it now in order for me to have that chance. So something bigger driving you at the time. Yes, absolutely. To, to give you that confidence that actually, almost that like you haven't got a choice. Like this isn't a, a choice question. That okay, well, have I got a chance of winning? Is I know this this needs to happen. That's a good way. Someone said that to me recently about my success. And they said, Lee, you didn't have a choice. I said, what do you mean? Of course you have a choice. I said, no, Lee, you, you didn't have a choice where you were mentally. And I thought, wow. That became scary to me because I'm thinking, well, man, what if I, what if I would have lost in that time? Would I have killed myself or something? I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I hope not. I hope you, you kind of come back down to reality at that point. But, but yeah, you, you don't give yourself choices. I heard a dialogue by Arnold Schwarzenegger talk about there is no and you may have heard that same thing. He talks about how when he came to this country, he didn't have anything, and uh, he wanted to be successful, and he didn't have a plan B. He said, because when you start thinking about plan B, you're taking some of your energy away from plan A, which is yeah. to be successful. So uh, I guess I didn't have a plan B either. I guess my plan B was to now win three national titles, you know, I guess. Yeah, it's... Uh... But yeah, it, it was never in your head to kind of go like, okay, well, it doesn't matter if I don't win this one because I've got three other chances. It, it was like, it was worse because you had to kind of come to terms to that once you actually lost to go like, actually, I cannot change what happened now, but the best I can do is run through everyone else. So going into your second year in college, you... You face uh, Dan Cable was in Northern Open or something like that? Yes, it was a college tournament, yes. So, well, and so I took that mentality with me there. And I, and I, my coach wanted to know what my goals were my sophomore year at the beginning of the year, and I said, well, it was nice enough to go undefeated, be a national champion. So then when he learned that Dan Cable was going to be entering the tournament at my weight class, he said, Lee, you're going to have to change weight classes. And one of his excuses for me to change is that, Lee, you're not going to be able to achieve your goal of being undefeated now. So why don't you go up or why don't you go down weight class? And, and, I, and, I, and I would do it. I, even though that was a goal, the bigger goal, and maybe this is something I just realized, something that was bigger than all the success I had was for me to challenge myself to see how good am I really. And the only way I could do that was to wrestle Gable. That was once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me. I didn't know whether he was going to smash me, pin me, or what. I just knew I wanted to try. And, and I knew that 
my my record was on the line. I knew that, you know, whatever, all that stuff because I'm risk was risking all that. But I didn't really care. And that year too, I, I wrestled Chuck Agler too. I, I cut down to one fifty to wrestle him in the All Star match when I didn't have to. So I was risking my undefeated string on a guy that beat me the last time we wrestled. I didn't care. I wanted to maybe I hate to think of it this way, but maybe I wanted revenge or something. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it was something that I, some mentality that I have that I just wanted to prove to myself that I was better than him. Yeah, I could, I could see that as well. It's like, what, what's a, what's a record worth if you didn't actually beat the best? Like, what, what if someone could go back now, look about your collegiate career, and saying, well, he didn't actually beat the person like he, he went to a different weight category he never faced him again so if there would have been the same category he wouldn't have been unde- undefeated and uh, what if cable wouldn't have come back is like it would have been all these what ifs that actually cable coming down probably did you a huge favor yeah he did and the last 30 seconds of that match did more for me than just winning the match it's just he had an opportunity to win the match he was in a very had the advantage, and I mentally was able to stop him from scoring for the last thirty seconds without really stalling. I just had to fight the position and not give up in the position. I learned more from that than than you could even imagine. So yeah, so with um, so to put this in context, someone who may not be following wrestling or maybe just quite new to the sport. When we talk about this, uh, this guy called Gable is 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 not just anyone. This was a um, world champion, an Olympic champion, coming in to face you when you were 18 years old. So, yeah, like you don't get those chances in many sports where you where you're true amateur, and you get to face someone who's Olympic champion. Uh, well, it's happened with Carl Snyder. I think he came against, I was actually watching just a moment ago uh, on Flow. I think it was Quiz. Um, faced him. Yes. Um, and uh, he lost that. And he was in actually in a similar position uh, as, as you were. Like uh, what you were saying then, he was like, he was in a position of winning that. And just in the last, uh, what, 30 seconds or so, it's like similar to what you mentioned. It's like then he... He lost then. You could almost see the moment when he lost the fight when he, mm-hmm. uh, in the regulation and he just lied on the floor and he was like, mm-hmm. uh, commentator, well, he needs to get out. And if he would have got out and got the escape point, he would have won. He would have beaten the, what, was he Olympic champion at the time or world champion? He, he was, uh, it was 2016, you know was it? I think it was. I think it was Olympic champion, 2016. Yeah, yeah. That that would have been the 16. Yeah, the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting to see how a, a tiny bit a difference, but possibly mentality. It's like he he was technically good enough to beat um, Snyder, and you were technically good enough to beat Gable, and and it really came to the point of okay you mentally in the right place in that 30 seconds up until the end to keep your focus and you managed to manage to be the Olympic champion. So 
no no easy feat at all and uh yeah what what was the feeling like leading up like you said like your your coach was trying to get you to move weight classes and you probably had this feeling around you that you were probably the only one who believed that you could be gable so you know what it's was not that, that like? i believed i could win it's that i was i knew i was capable of winning and i wanted to i wanted to try. I wanted to try to, to win to satisfy my own mind. That's just how good you are. And there's people that have that mentality. They will challenge someone really good. But a lot of times they'll challenge someone really good and they, they're not really prepared. But I was prepared and I challenged him. And I was, I was willing to throw it out there. You know, um, since, you're, since we're talking about this, I. I Every time I get on the subject, I still ponder into why was I that way? What would made me think like that? What what would made me not um, just just acquiesce to to all the pressure and and uh, and all the just 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 everybody saying that I wasn't going to win that match because that's what I that's, I didn't hear anyone say anything positive to me into that match it was just like Lee you're going to get killed Lee you know wow 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 you're going to get beat you're going to get beat so I just avoided people actually Mm. just stayed away from everybody were you nervous leading up to the fight like um, fight (laughs) Uh, the match itself it's like when you when you're getting closer and closer what what was that mental conversation like do you need to have do you have to kind of deal with nerves and did it feel like it was bigger than just a match? Well, for me, <clears throat> for me, I just, um, yeah, I was very nervous, of course. Um, <clears throat> I got nervous for all my matches, but I was, um, I could understand Dan because I studied him so much. So he wasn't someone that was foreign to me Hmm. because I took the time to understand how he, how he thinks Hmm. and his mindset. And I studied his match, the one match that he lost in college, you know, so I read all that stuff. So I was, I was nervous, but I, I was more anxious or excited, I would say. Not anxious. I was excited to wrestle him. The excitement of wanting to wrestle him was bigger than the fear, was bigger than the nervousness, was bigger than the anxiety. Um, I don't know why I was able to turn that into excitement because because um, maybe I just didn't believe like the myth of how good he was. And maybe because I, I was always taught that you have to compete against the person and not their reputation. And that was one of the things Dan Gable taught a lot of his athletes. I was one of them. I was just a kid in the room. And, and so I, I, I didn't look at him as his reputation. I looked at him as just two arms, two legs, and, and a person that is just going to have 
you know, has two arms, two legs, just like me, I guess. I, he used to say those things to us as a group, as a coach. He was, he was saying that they're trying to find this Russian to beat me out of the whole, whole uh, country. And the thing he said, I have, you know, that Russian has two arms, two legs, just like me. So there's mm-hmm. no reason why that Russian should have, should have any advantage over me just because he's a Russian. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, I use that same logic just because it's Dan Gable. He isn't just automatically going to win. I, I knew that it was possible. We always see upsets occurring in all sports. So I didn't know whether I was going to win. I knew that it was possible. This was possible. And if somebody would have said to me before the match, Lee, is there a possibility you can win this match? Anyone would say yes to that, right? If you're doing something that's very difficult, if someone said, is there, is there a possibility that you win? That's all you need to know then. So then you have to focus on that possibility. Now, if in your own mind you cut that, you shut that door, then you have no chance. You know, like is there any, is there a chance you can win late? No. Well, there's no chance I can win. And that's how I thought about every match. If someone would say, Lee, you know, even though I was a world champion, you know, they say, Lee, you know, are you gonna you're going to beat this guy, you know, are you going to smash him? Are you going to this, are you going to that? I don't know. I'm just going to do my best. Hmm. That's all I would say. Because I knew that that was the only thing that I had control. Yeah, I think that's really important when it comes to athletes is to, is to be focusing on things that you can control. Um, a lot of athletes put a emphasis on the situation or the athlete. Like I said, like you're ultimately you're really fighting against yourself it's like are you able to go out there and do what you do best and if you put yourself in that position like you did with gable then the outcome was that yeah you had the chance to win and you did win um and some of the things was quite interesting because i've heard that before where uh, you said that you were nervous and then you were anxious and then you got excited and uh, there's a mma fighter uh, randy couture uh, sure. I think yeah. I think he speaks about that, and uh, I haven't actually done research on this, but he says that the chemicals that is releases in the brain is the same when you feel nervous and anxious, as well as when you feel excited. So he That's would true. tell himself that actually this is my moment to choose. I can either choose to be nervous, I I can choose to be excited to go out there and compete. So, yeah, sometimes a lot easier said than t- done, but if you can get to the habit, that might help a lot of people to go out there and perform as best as they can. So, yeah, that was interesting. It just popped into mind when you mentioned it. I was like, I've, I've heard this somewhere. It's, uh, it's true. Just, just, just think about, I don't know if you have kids or not, but even yourself, even when you were younger, uh, the night before Christmas, what did you feel? Were you nervous? Were you scared? Were you anxious? Were you excited? Yeah, probably a mixture of everything, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> the excitement part was the thing that really drove you and kept you yeah. motivated. You were not opening, you know, whatever rules you had in your house for Christmas. The excitement, like when were you never, when were you ever not excited for Christmas? There probably never was a time you didn't have excitement that day. So why dread any day coming? If you put 
some anxiety around a certain data match, just to say, Gable or whatever. If you put anxiety around that, something that you're dreading, it's hard to perform well. But if you look at it with excitement of something you is drawing close and you, at Christmas, I can't wait for Christmas, or I can't wait for my birthday, or I can't wait to graduate from college, or it's all, it's just how it is. What's, what's the difference? Yeah, that ang- uh, anxiety is, is really a learned behavior. Um, they, um, Stephen Kotler speaks a lot about this in, uh, in his research behind flow state. And uh, mm-hmm. that's why they see flow state more frequent in children because the part of the brain that makes all the decisions and for you to feel anxious and all of that isn't fully developed. So it's easy as a child to feel that flow is like you don't really think about, oh, what if this happens? You don't think about the consequences. But when mm-hmm. you get older and older, everything gets drilled to you. Oh, there's consequences to every action. So mm-hmm. that's easy as an athlete to go out there and go like, what's the consequence now if I don't beat this guy? And uh, that could become the front thing that you always think about when you go and compete and you're worried. And then, yeah, like I said, like you're not going to go and compete at your best. You're not going to be able to um, go out there and, and perform to the best of your ability. That's true. So after K- Gable, you're now um, 18 years old, um, like a young adult. But after that, you go on an absolute tear. You're, uh, if I believe you went undefeated for the rest of the three years in college. Yeah. How do you keep focused? Because I, I could string two victories together in a jiu-jitsu competition and I'm already thinking, like, oh, okay, I've got two in a row now. How do you go through, um, well, you had probably 100, it was 101 uh, victories in a yes. row. How do you stay focused at 18 years old, you just beat the Olympic champion and then you go on an absolute tear? What? How did you stay focused that you just don't get complacent at any point of those fights that you would have, you had the opportunity to lose? I, in fact, Dan Gable told, told me this, but I was thinking this way anyway. You have to wipe your, your mind clean, clean of your success, and you have to always remain like you haven't won anything. Hmm. So, that people would say is that he's going to practice like he's never won. He's going to play like he's never lost. So that's kind of the mentality, sort of. Um, you know, it's hard. It's 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 hard to put into words. I guess um, I just knew that uh, I had to forget about my success. Because I'm going to rely on that. I'm going to be thinking about the past. It's something that you wipe out your, you, you have to wipe your brain clean of the fact that you are as successful as you are. And you have to, you, you have to be in the mindset that you are going to have to climb out. It's like, um, if I was a coach, it's like, just because you've won it once doesn't mean the next year is going to be easier. Like, 
like being a three-time national champion doesn't mean I'm three times better than a one-time national champion, I guess. Yeah. You know, it doesn't equate that way. Each national championship stands on its own. Each success you have stands on its own. It's not a cumulative effect. If that was the case, and, you know, by the time I had three national titles, that means it's like, it's like a cat having nine lives or something, you know? You know, I could, you know, I could get beaten and it wouldn't matter because I had all these wins build up. No, that doesn't, that doesn't happen that way. Each win stands on its own. In each tournament, everybody has, I think, an equal chance of winning. They're pe- the one that is the most prepared and is ready to compete on that day or days is who's going to win. And I always believe that. There's upsets in every tournament, and no matter what it is. The number one seed, they get beat. How does that happen? Well, somebody came along and they realized that they just weren't going to, they just weren't going to accept that. Hmm. So it's, it's just in life. Everything in life follows that same rule. It just does. Uh, I don't, sometimes circumstance pushes you into that. I, uh, this story, when I was in college, there was a football player that I thought was, um, you know, he was, he was a great athlete, but I didn't think he was a good student. I don't, don't think that had anything to do with how smart he was, but, but, he just wasn't that focused in school. He didn't get the grades. He was relying on his football. Well, he got injured in football. And I remember him wanting to cheat off an exam on me. And so that popped, that kind of flipped in my brain that oh, this guy's not really serious about school. Hmm. So we lost touch with each other. And many years went by. And I saw him later in life. And the guy had got his act together because he got hurt in football. He realized he was going to have to go a different course. He graduated. Anyway, he went to Harvard Law School. He's a lawyer now. And when he told wow. me that, it almost didn't compute with me. I'm like, you? Kevin, the guy who used to cheat off me? The guy who was the idiot? Like, how did that happen? I said, well, I had to get serious about my life. So we don't know what we can accomplish until we hit bottom sometimes. And we realize, okay, I don't have that to rely anymore. So I put myself in that situation every year in wrestling. I and it was tough because you do have all this great success and it's easy to feel like your past success is going to win matches for you. And sometimes it will. And that's the worst thing that can happen. And I've had guys just not wrestle me very hard because they just didn't believe they could beat me. And that always scared me because I thought, man, that guy was really good. If he tried really hard, I don't know if he could win, but man, he could have came, he could have wrestled me better than he did already. So I knew at any point in time, someone could beat you just like I beat Gable, just like I beat these other guys. Mm. So I always overcompensated for that. And I kept training really, really hard because I never wanted to lose. That, that was who made me who I, who I was. This guy who, it's like, it's almost like Daniel Cormier talking about me wearing spandex and stuff, you know. That's the image I have of myself. And I just can't see myself looking differently than that. Mm. And maybe that's bad. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe I'm just maybe it's too vain or something. I don't know. I, but I see other people that's in shape, and I think, well, I'm gonna be like them. And I and I, I learn what they do, and what they do is very is uh, is very similar to what I do. So I, I just yeah. so I, I know that I'm on the right thing. You know, I, I, I just 
know and believe the right thing. So uh, I just continue to do that because I know that that's what's going to be, that's what's gonna, that's what's going to keep me healthy. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that is, yeah it makes me laugh uh, when DC mentions that. The whole situation is, uh, is pretty funny. That was uh, funny when you said that. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so after your collegiate career, like you go out and you, you win your three national titles, and now you set your sights for for senior career. What was what was that transition like from collegiate to uh, to freestyle? So we're talking now two different types of wrestling. Uh, I'm guessing you got yeah. folk style, and then you now move into freestyle wrestling. And yes, this is something I never really verbalized this before in an interview, but um, it's hard in our country, in America, to be a world champion until you graduate from college because the college season is so tough that when you finish the college season, you want to take a break. And then that's when the freestyle season starts and then the world championships are usually in the summer or the fall. Hmm. So anyway, when I graduated, then now my coach said to me, Lee, uh, Mark Trella and Chuck Yeagle, they're the number two guys on the ladder. And, you know, either Chuck or, or Mark Trella, they're going to make the Olymp- or make the world team. Mm. And, and you're better than them. So you should go out there and I can, I can petition you into the camp and you can wrestle your way up the ladder and you can make the team if you want to. And I think you should because, you know, you're better than me. And he said, you know, let those guys make the world team. And, and, you know, it was almost like he was challenging my, my mentality of wanting to be the best, you know. And my senior year, one of the goals I had was to be chosen the outstanding wrestler of the national tournament. Hmm. And I wasn't. Uh, Mark Trello was. And so Mark Trello was a year younger than me, and he was second on the ladder the world team ladder and Chuck Eagle was first on the world team ladder. Yeah. And he, and my coach just threw that out there as a challenge. And it wasn't about being a world champion. It was about beating those two guys that are taking away some of your credibility, I guess, or I don't know. It was this, uh, you know, are you going to, you know, he, he stole your outstanding wrestler award because, you know, he was chosen that. And now he may make the world team too and represent the United States in the world championships. You know, let him do that. And that's all he had to say to me. And I was like, so, and that's why I made the world team. My college coach understood how I work, how mine worked. And I went out there and I beat Chuck and Mark and I made the world team. So now I'm on the world team and I'm like, okay, now what am I going to do? I'm in this training camp with Gable working really hard and and I start try- and then I started trying to realize well maybe I can be a world champion if I focus mm. and I just do what they're telling me to do so the, so that that pro- you know I didn't, didn't know I was going to be a world champion I had no idea I could be a world champion all I knew is that I could beat those two guys that were sitting at the top of the ladder on on the United States okay so you- so I went out yeah so yeah, sorry. Yeah, because that's uh, quite interesting. Because it's uh, you had 
going into college, you had, okay, I'm going to be a four-time national champion. You weren't going to budge from that. And uh, I was almost expecting um, you to say, like, when I asked you about your freestyle career, for you to go, yeah, my goal was to win all of these world championship leading up to the Olympics and then be Olympic champion. Like, what if your coach would have gone to you, go like, I think you could be a world champion. Do you feel like you would have gone... I don't know if I'm if I'm ready for that at the moment because obviously, like I said, like collegiate like season is is grueling, and now he's uh, sending you back in the mixer. I would have said that because when I tried for the team two years earlier, that level of competition was just different. It was something that I wasn't. I never really wrestled an international event other than when I was in high school. I wrestled that Russian team once. I knew I could get on that level pretty quickly. And we didn't have Americans that were winning world championships either. Um, at, at the time, I won the world championship. There had only been six Americans to ever win a world title. So it wasn't happening that frequently. So my thought, if my coach would have said, Lee, I think you'd be a world champion, I would have probably said, okay, yeah. I. I think I, would, I think I would have been thinking a little bit more like everybody else thinks when they don't think they could do something. Mm. And so, and I'm, 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 I feel good enough to be honest to say that because when I hear that from other athletes, I, I know where they're coming from. Because mm. I don't honestly think I need to be a world champion. Wow, I've never even wrestled freestyle hardly. How can I think I could do that? But I can beat Chuck and Chuck Eagle and Mark Trella to make the team. So I knew I could do that. Well, I knew I had a good, good shot at doing that. So once I got on the team, Gable did a great, and Stan Desick. Stan Desick was one of the coaches, and he was the American that won the Worlds the year before mm. at, at, at my weight class. Uh, okay. And the, and the Olympic team, Stan was, he made the Olympic team, and I was an alternate to him. And Stan won a bronze medal, and I was just there as an alternate. So I knew I was close. And when Stan won the gold medal in 1977, had he, if he was trying out in 78, and if he was at the top of the ladder in 78, my thought process would not have been, oh, I'm going to go out there and beat Stan, because I would have probably thought, oh, my God, Stan's probably a little bit better than me right now. Mm-hmm. But because Stan wasn't there, the two guys that were at the top of the ladder, I, could beat, I knew I could beat those guys. Yeah. So I think the human mind always goes through a rational thought process as to what's possible. And for me, like when I went to college, it was still okay for me because I was wrestling college guys. I felt like I could beat college guys. I don't know. I just, I just didn't think it was out of the realm of possibility for me to be a four-time national champion. Hmm. Be a world champion at 21 and no one had ever won it at that age before. If I had all that on me going into trying to be a world champion, that would have been my, my focus would have not been in the right place. Hmm. My focus was just on making the team. And then once I made the team, Gable as a great coach, his focus came to helping Lee Kemp realize that he could be a world champion. And the one thing he said to me, he said, Lee, don't worry about the fact that this is freestyle. I, he says, I think you could take anyone in the world down with your single leg takedown. Just take people down. That's it. And then we worked on the, the, the parterre position on the turns, yeah. 
on me not getting turnip. I got taken out and I got pretty good at that. Because at first, it just is a learning curve there. So they spent time with me learning how to not get turned if I got turned, if I got taken down, hmm. and just taking people down the way I took them down in college. Takedown is a takedown. Yeah. You don't have to do freestyle throws and all this stuff. And that's all I did. I got one point takedown, and I won a world title match. Because Gable thinks very, maybe simplistically, the way I think, in, in the way of achievement. He, he just broke it down. He made it that simple. Just, just take people down the way you know how to take people down. And that's all I did. And so he made me believe that I could be a world champion because I, I was, um, in fact, I can remember the first day of the tournament, the way it worked out, the, the draw was all a random draw. So the first, it's my second match, I had the Russians. And the Russians are always favored to win. And so, and, and my second match was a Russian. My first match was an Iranian. And the Iranian ended up, taking second. Yep, he ended up taking second to me and the Russians to third. So the very first two matches of the world championships that year, I had the Iranian and the Russian. So we were having a team meeting before the tournament began. We were like maybe like 30 minutes before going to the arena. And he went over everybody's draw except mine. And I knew so it was bad. So... And then when he left, he was leaving. He got the first match. Like, oh man, he, he's taking me up the Russian nuts. I didn't show any reaction. I am now, but besides him, I just uh, just looked at him. I just kind of got focused. And Dan did, you know, he was smart. He said, I think you can beat these guys, but that's just who you have. So you're not going to have a chance to get warmed up and get in the tournament by a couple of matches that'll make it a little bit easier. You have two tough matches right away. And he walked away. And so I beat the Iranian 9-4, and I beat the Russian 7-4. And then Dave Schultz came up to me because he, he and I were arch rivals. He stayed at the camp to help me train and stuff. And his goal was to be a world champion too. Mm-hmm. And when I beat the first two tough guys the first day, back then the tournament was four days long, actually. Schultz came up and gave me a dose of reality. He said, Kemp, you haven't won the tournament yet. so." You better win the next all the rest of your matches. So yeah. even though I was I was feeling good about beating the Russian and beating the Iranian, here they, they, you know Schultz says you haven't won it yet. So so stay focused. <laughs> and I thought, hey, he's right. So so that's a sign of a, a good coach too. And I think Dave was also a good editor and he was a good coach. It takes a lot of boldness to say that to someone, really, because it could be taken the wrong way. But I took it the right way. I took it exactly in the way that he intended for me to take it. Yeah, it's it's tough as a coach. Do you want to take that gamble that maybe you don't want to shoot someone's confidence and kick them down to go like, well, what do you mean? I'll just be two of the best guys in the world. What do you mean? It's like, but at the same time, it's like you were mature enough to understand that actually, um, probably from the cable, uh, situation that any anyone can just come and do the upset because now the target's on your back even if people Absolutely. didn't necessarily know that or expect you to win the tournament but after the first and second fight suddenly you're you become the quote-unquote number one seed yes from that point onwards so and and dan gable approached it the same way with me too and and and, and the matches were not as tough as those two 
Uh, my, my final match was a guy who was pretty tough guy. It was funny. Uh, he was a, a Bulgarian. It was, it was a fairly close match, but, um, and actually that Bulgarian uh, took a bronze medal the previous year in the world championship. So he was accomplished. And, uh, and Stan, the coach that I was talking about who won the world championships the year before, Stan had beaten Iranian, who was the, you know, who was seated at the one. Yeah. But then Stan lost to the Bulgarian. But because the Bulgarian got beat by the Iranian as well, um, Stan still won the tournament. Cool. So, so I knew the Bulgarian was going to be tough. And even though I wrestled in my very final match of the tournament, the way the, the, the point system worked out, I probably, I probably could have lost that match mm. and still won the tournament, possibly. And then that would have given the Bulgarian a third-place finish, and I probably would have been second at that point. But the fact that I beat him, the Bulgarian didn't even place. It was just sad. I mean, he was wrestled through to the last day, wrestling the guy who was going to win it, and then he got beaten. He had taken four. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was a bit of a different format now. I think it's. I think it's a straight knockoff now. Yes, it was. Yeah. It, was it was a bad mark system back in the seventies and eighties or eighties, where you you goal was to accumulate like as few points as possible. At the end of a match, when it would conclude, you would get either no points for a pin, or if you had just a straight victory, you got one point. And ah, so okay. the goal was, to, and then who had the lowest amount of bad marks would win the tournament. It's just crazy how it worked. So you could actually lose and still win. If you win, you got six bad marks. That's what, pulled, that, that's what took you out of the tournament. So you, you could actually lose once, which would give you three bad marks, but as long as it was less than six, she was still, still win. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting how the whole um, wrestling as a sport has evolved when it's come to World Championship and Olympics and stuff. Because I know um, Gary Cola had a few tough situations oh. in... Uh, and that's just a whole different oh. story. It's un- unbelievable. And they end up doing... Yeah three championships in a row and they end up changing rules after every one of Gary's fights. So that's a guy that truly could be bitter and should be, and he probably is bitter a little bit, but that, that takes some real courage to, to move past that. It really does. So I, I, I admire him for coming back from those. Uh, I mean, wow. To leave an arena thinking you have won, coming back thinking maybe you're in the finals and now you've lost, you know, and that's just terrible. Yeah. So yeah, anyone who hasn't heard the story is basically what Gary won. Won his fight. He was at the hotel and then they reviewed the footage and they pretty much just said, "Yep, yeah, sorry, you didn't. You didn't win." Uh, it, there was, and that that's pretty much it. Like I'm not yeah. being vague about it. They're just like, yeah, sorry, you didn't win. Why? It's like we reviewed it, and you lost. And and America can petition those, but you know, you you know, you're not going to win those, but you still try. Which our country we tried, but not only did it happen once, it happened like what three times. I think so, yeah. It's and each time the next championship they changed the rule. And in the last one, it was in the Olympics 
and they changed mm. the rule, but they didn't honor the rule or something like that. So the rule was in place to protect athletes from situations like, I can't remember exactly what happened, but they didn't actually, I think it was a wrestle off that you need to make a decision there and then. Um, you can't just kind of go like, oh, by the way, we didn't like that, like that decision. And uh, yeah, he had to wrestle off again and then he ended up losing. Um, that's, that's hard, man. That is hard. Yeah. No, you don't. You don't want anyone, even your worst enemy. You want to. You wouldn't want to see that happening to. Oh, no. So, okay. So, seventy-eight. You won your first uh, first gold medal, and then uh, year after, you won your second. What was there anything different? Do you go? I'm guessing you're going in with a whole different confidence. You're going to defend your defend your world championship. And then the Olympics was right around the corner. So then my goal was to be. Olympic champion. It, it always was, but now it's really clear that I can do this. Mm. So I was 100% focused uh, in 79. And the world's uh, championships were in the United States, which makes it a little bit easier. If you're the host country, you don't have to travel as much. And yeah. You're in your environment. So that's the way it was in San Diego. That's where the world championships were. And Gable was the coach again of the team, and I worked out with him a lot. Everything was perfect. Everything was perfect. I was, I was right on track, and uh, I won. You know what? My my matches really, uh, they really weren't that close. I mean, uh, like the scores, I think they're you know maybe maybe my closest match might have been three three zero or three to one four to one or something like that. But they were, you know, I mean, they were pretty. And what Gable and I were working on is to distance the score, like, you know. And I was all focused, and he was. We were working out on a lot of different things to make me even better. So I was, I was ready. I felt like I would have been ready in 1980 for sure. So we don't have it. Yeah. So obviously, 1980. It's Olympic year in Moscow. And uh, the USA boycotts the Olympics. What was that feeling like? Like that must be one of the toughest things that you had to deal with in your professional career. It was the the toughest, and I'm still not over it. Now. I'll, I'll never get over it. Every four years, there's a new Olympics, and it gets revisited. So. You see people winning gold medals. You see all the stuff that you remember that you were striving for. And it gets thrown in front of your face for an eight-week period of time. And you mourn over it again. And now another four years, it comes back. It would be like being divorced and having to see your, your ex-spouse uh, every, every, so, every so many years. And you have to spend time with them. And you're you're faced with that. Typically people want to get as far away as they can from mm. negative things like that, that happen in their life. Or I tell people it's like a death of, of a close person to you. You're never going to get them back. Of course you have to move on, but you're, you're different because of it. Um, it'd be like going through medical school, doing your, your residency. And before you become, you know, a doctor, something happens that nullifies all the work that you've done 
and you get no credit for any of the work that you put in for eight years. And if you still want to be a doctor, you have to go back and start all over again and spend another four years or eight years, whatever. It's that same concept. It's that, you know, you mean I'm going to have to do this all over again? Yeah, that's, that's, that's what has to happen. So it's very few people that can do that, that can hang in there that long. Um, and you are a little bit bitter about it, but now as I see this upcoming Tokyo Olympics that's been postponed now, that's a real possibility that we could have another Olympic Games that, that just doesn't happen. Our American athletes had to go through it in the national tournament, which, you know, which is the biggest thing in our wrestlers' life is the NC, NC2A tournament next to the Olympics. And very few athletes go on to the Olympics anyway. I mean, but in terms of being a national champion, that's something that every college athlete is looking to try to, be, to have it just taken away completely. That, that's just, it's, I, I can wrap my brain around it because I've gone through it. But it's, um, you, your life is never the same. So what would be your, yeah, I, yeah, it's just one of those, and you mentioned being a doctor um, and you've got the, the thing is you've got the opportunity again, like even in that scenario, you've got the opportunity because you're still as smart, actually you're smarter, but you, we're talking about wrestling here. We, you have a limited time. Not a lot of people wrestle even past their first Olympics. It's a very much a, you go after college, you go into world championship. Not many people wrestle past, what, 24? Like, you'd probably yeah. be considered quite an old wrestler. And after that, it just gets harder and harder. Whereas intellectual stuff, it probably gets a bit easier because you gain more knowledge. So it's a really difficult place to be. And what would be your advice to any athlete who might be in their senior year now um it could be ncaa um, athletes um not just wrestling but other sports i know march madness all of that has been now postponed and olympics could be could be cancer at the moment it's postponed but that's again another year and athletes again another year older what would be your advice to deal with this kind of situation well the only thing i could say is applying it to my own life is i uh not not through any fault of my own i had to give up on the one goal but you still have to live you have to you have to kind of prop yourself up to believe and feel I do have a place in this world. I do have, uh, you know, the responsibility, not only to myself, but to just life itself, to continue living. And you start being a little philosophical because there's people that um, can rationalize that winning a medal is not that big a deal when they are faced with cancer and they, and they only have like, two years to live their life or something like that you realize life is bigger than your, your little goal. And that's how it helped me get past wrestling. I realized that, first of all, I realized I still wanted to live. Mm -hmm. You know, I still felt life was valuable. And I had to, like, stand back up again after the morning period. And 
uh, I tell myself, uh, and, and, uh, cause I've had to explain this, uh, to some other people. And I just said, well, you can't quit on life. You have to, you have to keep standing. You have to keep standing because if you don't, you will be forever defined by this circumstance. And in the process of continuing to stand and to continuing just to live and breathe and be interested in life, more than likely you'll find something else to put your passion into. And that's kind of what I was able to do um, when I finally got over this. I, I thought that, uh, getting married and working and, and, you know, which was good for me. I had three children. So for 14 years, I was in this, 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 this relationship before it didn't work out in, in the end. But, um, but even in that situation, that circumstance put me in a really difficult spot. And I had to, I had to decide that life was still worth living. You know, there was thing, things that, are still important beyond this marriage. My children need me. You know, you start trying to latch on to other reasons that give you purpose. And then wrestling just gave me another purpose. And then you start realizing, that, wow, that, that there is a lot of things here that, that I could grab onto. And, and I think when people give up on life is when they, when they think that, they think that, that they don't have a purpose and that no one cares. And, uh, and I think we're social creatures, if you want to call human beings creatures. I don't think we're meant to be alone. I think yeah. there's studies that prove that isolation is not good for um, a human being to be cut off from all contact with, 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 the out, with anything on the outside world. So, so um, I think people the natural tendencies are to isolate yourself. Because when I went through both of those situations, I isolated myself. That's just what you don't, you, for whatever reason, you just don't want to interact with people. And in that isolation is what causes you to spiral into this, into depression. And it took a friend to get me out of that, to get me back into wrestling, to, to literally drag me almost, not, not literally, but to get me to show up to, our world team trials. And I walked into Serena. I'd been gone for 14 years through my marriage and all that kind of stuff. I just didn't get to go wrestling. And it was almost like a reunion of me coming back to the sport of wrestling. I realized just how important I was to other people. And it doesn't have to be that I was a successful athlete. Just being a, you know, a human being that has had relationships in the world, hopefully, People, when you're away and you come back, people will notice that you were gone. And when you, when, when you realize people will know, hey, where, where you've been? I haven't seen you for several months. Oh, yeah, I was going through some things, but I'm better now. And you realize people really were connected to you in a way that gives your life purpose as well. So that, that's how I got over both of those situations. The wrestling one, my friend, um, my friend, pulled me back into the wrestling arena and getting over the Olympics. Uh, I was young and I was like 23 years old or something like that. I, I realized my life had purpose. So I, pour, I threw myself into my, my business career. I, I had an MBA, so I thought, okay, I'm just going to start working. Hmm. You know, so I just, I just 
that that gave me the purpose that I needed, you know. And so I got a job, and I started I started wanting to do to do to be successful in that job. And then I uh, I progressed a bit further, and then I had an opportunity to to get into a dealership uh, ownership program that Ford Motor Company was offering. So I, then I was a, a dealer. Then I had all these people working for me that I felt responsible for, which sounds a little corny. I've heard other business owners talk about, talk about it like that. Like I, you know, I have, a, they say they have this responsibility to my employees and I have to, this business has to, to work because people are depending on their, and their jobs and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It seems a little corny, but I guess it is true really. You know, if you, if you run a company and you have employees, they expect to get paid. And if you don't run a company, in a way that 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 allows it to make money, you know, um, you get you're hurting all, all these people, you know. So uh, I, I kind of felt that same way. So I I had all these other things in my life that kind of gave me purpose, that allowed me to um, feel like I could go on. And the and the sad thing is, is people who who do commit suicide, they just they they get to the end of of their of what they believe their usefulness is. The main thing that you really wanted doesn't happen and you feel like that's all your life meant and that's, then maybe you put way too much of emphasis in that one little thing. So um, I was fortunate that I didn't isolate myself completely from people to where I had people in my life that would check on me. Yeah. My friend John used Check on me every now and then. I noticed that he would call me every now. Was doing, and I noticed that he was doing that, and I appreciated that he was doing that. And in the conversations we were having, I think he realized that I was I was having a tough time. And that's what friends do for each other. And so I was fortunate enough to have a friend that did that for me. Yeah, it's yeah, it is really important to have a, a circle of people that. Uh, that you can truly trust and they have your best interest at heart and uh, these things happen uh, happen a lot where you where you step away from uh, especially in sports when you when you retire and it could happen uh, from from a place where actually you weren't quite ready weren't quite ready to retire and you come from pace of uh, almost pain and so you probably didn't at the time when you uh, finally retired uh, from wrestling you probably didn't see yourself working in wrestling no after that no i didn't i i wanted i wanted to wash my hands of it you know if i can use that terminology i had been around wrestling for so long i felt that i wanted to do something different and so i changed my life around it just i mean i worked in New York City of all places. Talk about coming from a farm environment and going to college, which is a rural town. To be working midtown, and oh my gosh, this, you know, but but it was it was it was a cool experience. I'm glad I'm glad I had that. Experience. Yeah, you you need to taste these things, don't you? Need to be able to. You mentioned it earlier. It's like you you want to be trying these different things because then you don't know that could have been your passion working in a busy city. And by trying it, you realized it wasn't. So what's uh, life like now? It's like you, I can see like you're, you're spending a lot of time with team alpha male. How did that 
come about and what's kind of your role within it? That was um, only came about from my son achieving a scholarship to college. So he earned a scholarship to Fresno State. Yeah. Which, um, and my older two children live in California. So when Adam had the opportunity to come here, I just knew that I was, I wanted to be around my children. So I moved too. And I thought I'd be living in Fresno and working maybe with the team somehow. But I, I could tell that Adam needed his space mm. because when I got around wrestling, I could feel that he, he, he just needed his own identity in the sport of wrestling. And when I was around, I was, I was taking up too much attention, sort of, you know? Yeah. And, and people expect Adam to be good because I was a good wrestler and that's not fair to him. And I could tell he just didn't really, like even in high school, I thought I'd be in the restroom all the time in high school helping him. And I could tell he didn't want me in the restroom either. I could tell him even in high school. So I realized he needed his own space. So through God's confidence, I think, um, I got introduced to Uriah Faber. Or at least I was, I was, uh, I was uh, kind of uh, recommended to Uriah as a guy who could help out his 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 uh, his fighters mm-hmm. through through a guy I didn't even even know that well. I met that I met that guy out here in California, and he told me, "Yeah, I know I know Uriah, and uh, I'd never been to Sacramento, and uh, we connected on Facebook." <laughs> he said, "Lee, Lee, I see you you're you're moving out to California. When you get out here, give me a call." So call him because I I knew I needed to network a little bit. Yeah. And he said, Lee, you know, what are you going to do to work? I said, I don't know. I'm trying to find something here in Fresno. He said, I know you're Uriah Faber and he needs a wrestling coach. Really? No, he, he, he doesn't know he needs you yet, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him that he needs you. So he knew, he knew Uriah pretty well. And he, he went to bat and supported me to Uriah. And so I drove you know, I drove to Sacramento, met Uriah, and uh, Uriah was pretty funny though. He said, "Okay, Lee, what do you, you know, what what can I do for you?" <laughs> kind of thing. I said, "Well, I, you know, I need, I need a job, man. I want you to hire me as a wrestling coach." He says, "You don't need a wrestling coach, but, but we'll figure something out." Is what he said. So it took it took a couple of weeks, but he did. He brought me on, and which which allowed me to get stabilized, allowed me to get an apartment and hold it. And he really didn't need a wrestling coach because he had a pretty good wrestling coach, you know, guy who had been a fighter. Because wrestling's different than, than the combination of wrestling and fighting and kicking and all that kind of stuff. Wrestling all by itself isn't just because I was a world champion doesn't mean that I could just help a fighter. Just be, you know, I mean, it, you have to know the fight game a little bit too. Mm. So the wrestling coach he has was a wrestler and was a fighter for many years. So the guy knew a large component to the game but but he allowed me to come on and assist him in a lot of the practices so but it, it gave me a chance to get my feet on the ground it gave me a chance to make some money and make other contacts mm-hmm. which i did i made some other contacts with coaches and so now i teach some high school wrestlers at, at a prominent club here called mad time they've got a jujitsu team as well and, and i still coach some of the fighters at team alpha male i do privates there i don't i'm not there full time any longer but i just have access to the gym and the fighters and um but i'm forever grateful to uriah for giving me an opportunity to just you know make some money while i got here and uh, 
and to get introduced to the fight game. So um, through his introduction, I had immediate credibility and respect, really. And I saw because Uriah's base was wrestling when he started. Yeah. So I was able to um, to to make a connection with with all the top fighters at the gym. So um, it's good. Who knows? Maybe maybe like Uriah says, maybe 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 I'll maybe they'll find a way to bring me back in because he he wants to he wants to start kind of an adult wrestling program hmm. and maybe even have a high school wrestling program have a club there a wrestling club. Oh, cool. Yeah, he, he he's inviting me in to maybe like say when 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 one of the main wrestling coaches when he has to miss practice, I'll come in and maybe teach that practice things like that. So I I still have a presence there, which is good. That's cool. So is he? Uh, I think it's similar to what, because um, obviously uh, Daniel Cormier's got Gilroy, and uh, they spend a lot of time at the AKA room. So true. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we don't have that yet, and that's what Uriah sees that I think, and and it it would help because it it helps it, it helps you it helps fighters decide helps younger wrestlers decide maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe I want, I want to be a fighter. And it gives him a chance to, to have a, a stable of, of, of pretty talented athletes that were wrestlers coming in to learn the fight game. Yeah, I completely. I think that's a great, um, great thing to have because it's, they've still got a career. They've still got college and everything to go through. But it kind of gives them a taste. Um, I watched on... Uh, think the guy goes i am the bay and he follows a lot of aka practice Mm -hmm. and it's really cool to see like uh uh, the guys being able to uh, grapple with kabib and uh, um, islam and some of them man makes uh, probably feels wonders in their confidence being able to and there's this amazing clip where uh, i think it's uh i think it's chase is the one that was number one high school wrestler I saw that clip. Yeah. Yes. And then um, Islam pulls this wicked takedown. He just kind of pulls his arm. And uh, obviously he gets roasted for it, Chase. And then he hits that in competition. I don't know how long after, but he manages to hit that in competition. So it's like, yeah, he was a bit of a, a, bit of a YouTube clip at the time and he went around, but he managed to hit that then in competition. So it's immediately you put it, these young children or young young kids in in environment where they can learn and they can go against with adults who are responsible absolutely it's, it's a huge build of confidence for them guys and daniel has a great thing going there at the uh coach coaching at the high school and having the aka gym and uriah has an awesome situation here too so uh in sacramento he's done very well financially for himself, he's done well financially, mm. and he's provided opportunities for a, a lot of athletes to get into the fight game here at his gym. Yeah, it's that's always kind of been. Uh, I think that was with, with Cody Garbrand. He he got picked up quite young. As yes, he was younger. Yeah. Obviously, um, Dillashaw was uh, another one. He got picked when he was younger and built him up yeah. and and all of that. So he's always been. As far as my knowledge is of uh, of UFC and stuff and and Faber, he's always been a guy who's who will pick people up and build them up to become yeah. um, the better people and better athletes as well at the same time. And they were wrestlers too, Cody and uh, TJ. They were they were good wrestlers. 
yeah. So yeah, it's uh, he's been doing it for a while, and it'll be interesting to see and exciting to see when he just continue, continues to do what he what he does so well. So yeah, that would be interesting. So one last little little question because um, before I let you go. You mentioned something when he came to UK, um, something called Dark Drive. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That is a concept or a um, that Saeed introduced to me, and as he explained it to me, and maybe it might even be valuable to talk to Saeed a little bit about it. But mm-hmm. that's a a a mental state that, that you go into when you know maybe that it's life, life or death, maybe, you know, and it's hard, it's hard to, to go, to go, to go to that place, to that dark place, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a place where great achievement comes out of that place sometimes because your back's to the wall. There, there, are, there are no options anymore. And it's a, it's always an uncomfortable place. Um, to me, it's like if if you look at the the demeanors of certain athletes, Khabib looks like a guy that could go to that place, you know. And he made the Tony Ferguson made the the mistake of, uh, in one of the press conferences of of trying to challenge Khabib, saying he'd never been in a street fight. Khabib mm-hmm. looked at him like you. You saw that one thing yeah. at one press conference. I believe Khabib has been been in some serious street fights. He says, "Street fight, I fight every day to survive." You, you know, you're just playing games, fighting for you know. No, there's people like like Khabib impresses me as a guy who grew up really, really hard in a really tough environment. That they mentally could be in a place that someone who's who's has no idea what that is, can never get there. You can only get there. It's like the guy that you've heard the story about the, the one, uh, the hiker who got his arm got trapped and he cut his arm off to, to live. Right. I can't remember that. 124 hours or 120 hours or something like that. They made a film. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Now you're right. It'd be like, if you had to ask you, ask me right now, could I do that? Of course you can. Oh my gosh. But if you're in that situation, and no one's coming to save you, and your your your, your arm is trapped, and the only way you're going to free yourself is to cut your arm off somehow. I mean, that's that's the con. That's kind of an idea of dark drive. It's something. It's the place of of uh, going to the depths of your soul, to your core, uh, pulling the last ounce of of energy out of your body to, to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, great achievements come from that. Typically those are achievements that were are life or death type of achievements. People that, that do, uh, that, that survived, you know, calamities or whatever, just certain things that I, I have some situations in my book, winning gold that I think come from dark drive, you know, where I think some of the men that, that fought in some of the world wars. Hmm. I mean, but how do you survive that? You know, when, you know, when you, when you, everyone around you is dying and you're, and you, you, you have no choice but to fight and you don't know 
from seconds to second if you're going to be the next guy hit and you're going to fall too. I mean, those are places that few of us ever, ever will go to. And uh, thank God we don't have to. Mm. But you can start to touch that when you're an athlete. Like Gable, I learned from him that he thought different than anyone else that I've ever been around. And I didn't know it was possible for me to get there. But I started practicing, if you will, learning how to be as mentally tough as him. And so as it turns out, I, I won matches because I was just mentally able to go to that place, that dark drive type of place. And it's a place that not everybody can do it or even are willing to do it. Hmm. I think we have it so soft in America. I see that what we're going through here. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but I mean, with this, you know, virus and people are now trying to figure out how to live their lives in, in, relation, in relationship to that. They're buying stuff and trying to prepare for a time when maybe there's a 100% quarantine. They can't leave their houses. Um, it can get tougher than that even. Or I think there's people that are told that maybe as you, you have like, you know, whatever, two weeks, three weeks, six weeks to live, you have terminal cancer. Those are places that mentally you have to go into a place that few people would, could, could, could go to. I mean, how could you go to that place if, you, if you're not faced with that same uh, type of scenario? Yeah, it's, it's almost uh, the potential is there, isn't it, within every human being, but not many people go and touch it. And a lot of people almost stay away from from that place because it's it truly comes from an uncomfortable place and seeking those very. uncomfortable feelings. Oh, it's very uncomfortable. And uh, you can it's, see that, like a lot of people may not may not feel it, but actually, the people who have been dodging things for whole of their life, who have never seen the dark drive, and then you hit that rock bottom or um, you're faced with terminal illness and suddenly that is just a shift. You go like, okay, you, you start seeing people, how they change. You go like, okay, oh, I, yeah. I, I never seen that this person could be like this, but now they've, due to adversity, they've grown and they had to make that shift and had to um, adapt which is why I wanted my son to wrestle because I wanted him to feel adversity only in the way that wrestling can teach it to. It's such a tough sport. And I think that's why a lot of the people, the, the, the men and women that I see at Uriah's gym, they want to be fighters is they want to challenge themselves in such a way that I think they'll walk away from the sport different forever. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's an ultimate challenge to walk into a cage and they shut the door mm. and you, I mean, there are very few rules and you either show, you know, it's just, it's like to the death. If the official wasn't there, you die. It's the closest thing we have to gladiator. That's tough. Like I wouldn't have wanted to do that. I would not have wanted to do that. That'd have been very difficult for me to mentally say that I'm going to train to do this because because you have to train because when I wrestled I'm just trying to take you down and score points on you mm. 
if I if I was going to train to be in the UFC, I think it would ruin me for life. Not maybe the rest of my life, but I've got to become like Mike Tyson was. I hear Mike Tyson in interviews now saying that he doesn't he didn't like himself then. How he never wants to be that guy again. And it's he's in this dichotomy now. He's almost like he's and sometimes he'll do an interview. It's like he's losing his mind, you know. But you've got to be a killer. I mean, if I was going to fight in the UFC, I've got to then flip the switch and say, I'm going to kill you. If the fisher doesn't stop it, I'm going to kill you. If, if I'm choking you, I'm not going to let up. And if the official was late in stopping me, I'm going to, I'm going to, there's going to be a death on my hands. So, yeah. so you have to be in that mindset, I think, to fight. You can't go into a UFC fight thinking it's a sport. Because if yeah. some guy gets you in a choke, he could kill you, really. Or if you get your arm in a bad position, they could break your arm. You could, I mean, it's just, it's just, it, it puts your place in this dark, dry place that I don't want to be in. I don't think I want to be there, not even for money. Hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't, I just don't want to be that person. Because if, if I'm hitting you, I'm hitting you trying to kill you, trying to knock you out each, each punch. That's why all those punches are like, if I get you on the ground, I'm going to try to beat you unconscious. I mean, that's crazy to me. To, to be of that mindset. I'm of the mindset where if I take you down a little bit too hard, even in wrestling, I'm like, oh, excuse me. I didn't mean to do that, you know? I mean, because you're, you're not over that cliff. You're not over that edge. I'll take you down really hard, but if I take you down hard to where I hurt you, I'm going to step back and, and feel bad about it, you know? And the official's going to step in and maybe penalize me. So my whole world that I've lived in for so long has been civilized and there's a lot of people that think wrestling's not civilized you <laughs> see some guy with a tough arm bar and he's ripping some kids some guy's shoulder off within the rules that's tough but, you know because wrestling's tough it's, it's about as tough as you can come to fighting you know without actually fighting yeah yeah it's uh yeah this uh mentioned gable there's a few people from from Iowa uh, that that almost have that it's almost that they hunt for that dark dark place in training uh, I've seen some of the documentaries I think it's set on flow grappling called the program Iowa the program mm. and mm-hmm. uh, yeah some of their workouts is like is that point when they don't even mention how long that you you wrestle mm-hmm. live as long as you go and it's like, for how long it's like I'm not gonna tell you it's, it's that mental warfare that the brands brothers can uh, can get up to that builds um, probably from their minds not just champions in in wrestling but champions in life and a similar what the reason why you want to put Adam into wrestling is to is to build that not that he becomes a state champion or national champion but for him to take away something from the sport that is gonna benefit him in the long term uh, when That's he goes exactly out why I want to do it. 100% true. That's the reason why I want him to wrestle. Cool. I think that's a really good place to really good place to wrap it up. Where, where can people find you? Well, um, my website probably is always a good place. Um, it's just leekemp.com and uh, you know, I live in Sacramento, California now, so uh, 
Uh, it's my, my my second winter outside of the Midwest, and I'm loving it. <laughs> but um, I think I think at this stage of my life, I'm 63 now, so I um, I want to keep improving on myself. Just being a person that that is uh, has a greater understanding of as to why I'm here on Earth. Like, why am I here? That's a question we all ask ourselves. What can I do to be of value? To be of use? Um, and uh, and I want to be here for my kid children, of course. I want I want to be involved in their lives. But uh, and and I'm intrigued by people that are seeking truth. And there's a difference between uh, truth and then you can draw a line, and then you can throw a lot of stuff in the category. And what's true? What's true is different than truth. What's true could just be your ignorance. And mm. people have created wars over that. Just because I don't know something doesn't mean that, that, that it's right. So I, I may go down a path because I don't know. So something may be true to me because that's all that I know. But that's not necessarily the truth. When you start, the truth is bigger. It's, 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 uh, it's, 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 it's like macroeconomics. It's big. It's the big picture. Mm. And uh, when we start trying to dis- discover ourselves, like, wh- why am I here? What's, what is the real truth here in all of this? That's uh, enlightenment that, I, that, I, that I'm uh, intrigued by people that want to find out the truth of life in general, just, just, just the truth. Yeah, it's... Yeah, is is the thing is that when you when you start finding finding your true purpose and you can kind of start stepping closer and closer into what is the truth, I guess, and what you're what you're looking for. Um, one good quote. Um, I read a book. Um, is the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Excuse my language. Um, and they on there, it's it's a good little kind of changing the pace from that I was like okay what are you willing to endure what are you not willing to like oh what what are the things that you enjoy doing but actually what are you willing to sacrifice for what are the things that you're willing to endure all the negative things that comes with it and that's a good place for people to start to find uh, find their passion it's like okay it'll be cool to become a olympic champion but okay what are the sacrifices that comes with that um it could be lack of social socializing it could be lack of friends in general um long hours not a lot of sleep are you willing to put a sacrifice in for all of those things and suffer and if the answer is yes then you've probably found something that you're looking for true true Brilliant. But yeah, thank you very much for jumping on. We'll have a quick chat off. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you subscribe to it as well. This podcast lives on word of mouth. So please tell a friend who might enjoy or benefit from this. Again, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you on the next one.